The following sermon was delivered during morning worship at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith every Sunday on the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. And now, here is our guest preacher for today's service. Finally, it is my honor to introduce our guest preacher to you this morning, the Reverend Dr. Nathan Stuckey. Nate is a professor at Princeton Theological Seminary, where he's the director of the Farminary Project, a 21-acre farm that integrates theological education with small-scale sustainable agriculture. Most recently, he is the author of Wrestling with Rest, which I highly encourage you to buy and to read. Now, I can't tell you how stinking excited I am to have Nate with us today. Nate is one of those people that you meet and you instantly know how much he cares about God and God's creation, which includes you. Nate has not only taught me about the spiritual journey, but he has joined me in my spiritual journey. Friends, please join me in giving a warm Fifth Avenue welcome to Nate Stuckey. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. O oh God, let the words of my mouth, let the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our rock, our redeemer, our creator. Amen. Scripture lesson this morning comes to us from the first chapter of Genesis. Verses 26 to 31. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in God's image, in the image of God. God created them, male and female. God created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that God had made, and indeed... It was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of God for the people of God. It is a wonderful, wonderful privilege to be with you here this morning. Uh, much gratitude to everyone, but particularly to Pastor Werner uh, for that gracious introduction. Um, I confess that after 
Werner sent me the email that went out to the congregation describing his experience at the farminary of when he went to seminary, he couldn't imagine that he would take a class on a farm or do work on a farm as part of his seminary education. I said, I think the roles are being flipped now. I could have never imagined as a farm kid from Kansas driving, God forbid, to New York City on a Sunday morning and preaching in a pulpit like this. I'm so privileged uh, and grateful to be here. And so this brief background on me, just so you know a bit of where I'm coming from, as I said, I grew up on a farm in Kansas. Uh, after graduation from college, I married my wife, Janelle, who is uh, here with me, along with my three kids and my mother and father-in-law, who came all the way from Oklahoma, uh, just for this, or more things. Um, Got married after college and then moved to the eastern shore of Maryland, where I did ecumenical youth ministry for six years. That led to a return trip to Kansas, where I farmed full-time for about two years, and then back east to Princeton, New Jersey, where I was a student at Princeton Theological Seminary for eight, yes, eight years. Now, if you take all these things, the farming, the ministry, the farming again, the theological education, and you weave them together, you get something like a farminary, where we are forming leaders for service in the church and in the world by integrating theological education, that which a seminary typically does, with small-scale regenerative agriculture at the seminary's 21-acre farm. The goal really isn't that we're training farmers, maybe we'll graduate a a few in the next hundred years. The goal is to train leaders for the church and the world who have sensibilities and proficiencies that the farm uniquely teaches, knowing how to pay attention to seasons, knowing how to tend life, patience, endurance, and perseverance through struggle and failure, understanding limits, knowing how to increase vitality, holding the reverence, uh, holding in reverence the interconnectedness of life and death. We have this hunch that all of these skills are, in a word, pastoral pointing both to parish and pasture. The message today, the sermon today, grows from this background. It grows from my background and vocation. It grows from the work I'm privileged to do at the farminary. It grows even more specifically from my attention to and concern for Christian faith and our current ecological situation. Now, as you may know, the question of the relationship between Christian faith and the environment is, well, complicated far more complicated than I could adequately address in a single Sunday morning sermon. Nonetheless, I do want to invite us headlong into one of the thornier challenges for people of Christian faith as it concerns the relationship between Christian faith and creation. The problem concerns our text for this morning. It concerns Genesis 1. The problem concerns the words that Genesis 1 attributes to God regarding the relationship between humankind and the rest of creation. God says, let humankind have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, the wild animals on the earth, every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth, or more concisely, we might say, God says, let the humankind have dominion over creation. Let them have dominion. Our problem, I think, or one of our problems, is that this idea of human dominion over creation is both seductive and repulsive. I think one of our problems is we don't know what to do about this whole human dominion thing. 
Books, sermons, articles, podcasts that connect Christian faith and the environment tend to gloss over Genesis 1, skip to Genesis 2, where we get the whole God and the garden scene, where God places the first human in a garden to care for it. That sounds a lot more ecologically palatable than let humankind have dominion. However, if we're willing to engage Scripture from the beginning, we're left with this looming question. What do we do about this whole God, creation, and human dominion trifecta? This is the we challenge I invite us into this morning. (laughs) Now, as a side note, I think it's imperative that we include God in this question. My observation and concern about too many conversations that people of Christian faith who care about sustainability, ecology, local food, the environment, creation, is that we too frequently leave God out of this conversation. Yes, yes, God created the heavens and the earth a long, long time ago. But ever since then, humans have been messing this up, and it's up to us really to unmess the mess. But deep in our being, I think we know this won't do. The challenges are too large. We need divine aid. Furthermore, our theological convictions point us to a God who is living, active, and dynamic. So dynamic, in fact, as to be irreducible to usual monotheistic conceptions. Yes, we believe in one God, but it is, after all, Trinity Sunday. We profess to worship and follow a God who is bursting with life. Three and one and one and three. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Let's not leave this God out of our questions conversations and convictions when it comes to creation and the environment. And so we're back to our question for the morning. What do we do about God, creation, and human dominion? Well, I propose we return to Genesis 1. I propose we return to the very beginning. I hear it's a very good place to start. That was a courtesy chuckle at best, but it's fine. <clears throat> now, if we had more time, we could spend weeks, months, probably lifetimes on, this, uh, on these verses, verses. But Pastor Werner says I have no more than two hours to preach, so we're going to, <laughs> we're going to have to breeze through this. Uh, to help us, I invite your attention to the bulletin where you find a handy-dandy chart. Follow along as we work through this story, and if you're feeling particularly brave, you might grab a pencil because in a moment, it's going to get interactive. So in the beginning, Genesis 1-1, we have the creation or the not yet creation where we find a formless void and darkness. And then day one, God says, let there be light, and there is light, and God sees the light is good. There's evening and there's morning the first day, and if you look at your chart... You see day one, verses three to five, God creates light. Day two, God creates a dome or a sky to separate the waters above from the waters below. There's evening and morning, the second day, and then your chart, day two, sky and waters. Day three, there's dry land and vegetation. And it's worth noting in these verses a striking new development. Here for the first time, God invites creation to join the creating. It's not just God saying, let there be, and there is, but God says, let the earth put forth vegetation. And then later, the earth puts forth vegetation. The creation participates in the creation, and God sees that it's good. There's evening, there's morning, the third day. And again, on the chart, day three, land and vegetation. Now brace yourself, get your pencil, if you're willing, 
I promise it might be worth it. Day four, God creates lights to rule the day and night and seasons. God sees that the lights are good. There's evening and morning the fourth day. So if you're willing, on day four, in that handy-dandy chart, you can put lights. And then day five, God creates birds and marine life. And again, creation participates. God says, let the waters bring forth. And then the waters do bring forth. God sees that it's good. Evening and morning, the fifth day, in your charts, you may write birds and marine life for day five. Birds and marine life. This leads to day six, where God creates land animals. And finally, we get to verse 26 and the start of our text for today, where God says, Let's make humankind in our image. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle over all the wild animals of the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God creates humankind in God's image. And God blesses them and says, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living thing that moves upon the earth. Then God provides food through the vegetation And it was so, and God saw everything that God made, and indeed, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day, back to the chart, day six, land animals, humans, and food. Land animals, humans, and food. This leads us to day seven. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that God had done and God rested on the seventh day from all the work that God had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because on it God rested from all the work that God had done in creation. Back to the chart, day seven. There's not a lot of room there, but I think you can squeeze it in. Day seven, completion through Sabbath. Day seven, completion through Sabbath. Now, before we circle back to the whole dominion thing, I think it's worth just stopping to reflect on this story, on what a couple of biblical scholars refer to as a creation poem. What stands out from this telling, limited as it is? Well, first of all, we simply can't ignore the goodness of creation. Over and over again, God sees that it is good. And then at the close of day six, God sees the whole creation and pronounces it, indeed, very good. I think we also must notice this stunning diversity, the stunning variety to creation. I didn't get to lift this up in the quick retelling, but if you look at the NRSV, you will find the phrase, of every kind, ten times in this story. The phrase points to the extraordinary variety embedded in the created order. Fruit trees of every kind, plants yielding seed of every kind, trees of every kind, great sea monsters. Did you catch that? Great sea monsters of every kind, winged birds of every kind, wild animals of every kind, cattle of every kind, things that creep upon the ground of every kind, humans, male and female, again suggesting the great variety. And in every case, God sees that it is good. The creatures are good. Their stunning variety is good. Can we read this and not notice the goodness of creation? Not because we said it was so, but because God said it was so. That's good news, I think. 
And then if you look at your chart and you're willing to hold up the days as they go across our chart, day one is light, day four, lights, day two, sky and waters, then day five across the chart, day five, God creates birds and marine life, the birds to fill the sky, the marine life to fill the waters, day three, there's land and and vegetation, day six, the land creatures and humans to fill the land, and then the vegetation becomes food for every breathing thing. Do you see it? This whole story moves from formless void to ordered whole. This should be enough to make the heart of every God-fearing Presbyterian rejoice. God brings decency and order right from the very beginning. The whole is stunning, even beautiful, but it leads us back to our question right there in the midst of this beautiful story, dominion. Let the humans have dominion. What do we do about God, creation, and human dominion? In 1967, American historian Lynn White Jr. wrote a tremendously influential article titled The Historical Roots of Our Ecological Crisis. In it, he argued that the primary fault for our contemporary contemporary ecological crisis lies with the church. It lies with Christians. Why? Genesis 1. Genesis 1 gives humans dominion over creation, and Christians have used that as rationale for exploiting rather than caring for creation. Lynn White Jr. is right. Genesis 1 does give humans dominion, and he's right that humans have used the idea of dominion as justification for exploiting and ravaging creation. But I think Lynn White Jr. is utterly wrong about the invitation that Genesis 1 actually gives to humankind. Yes, the invitation to dominion is there, not once but twice, as we have already seen. The invitation, even the command to have dominion is there, but what does it mean? And does this story give us any clues about what right dominion might look like? Does it shed any light on the now haunting phrase, let them have dominion? I think it does. I think it's possible, even advisable, to read this account of creation as a stunning and beautiful testimony to God's own dominion. If we read this story and we ask, who's in charge here? There's really no question God is in charge. We might say that God reigns very clearly in this story. And I wonder what specifically are the contours of God's dominion within the contours of this story. First, there's some stunning creative power here. God speaks creation into being. Second, God is attentive. God pays attention. God sees that the creation is good. God does not ignore creation, but rather recognize it's a goodness through careful attention. God is empowering and enlivening in this story, invites creation into the creating The earth brings forth vegetation. The waters bring forth marine life. I think we can even say God here is quite clearly fructifying. Yes, fructifying. God's blessing to creation is be fruitful and multiply. God's dominion brings forth the fruitfulness and vitality of a stunningly varied creation of every kind, of every kind, of every kind. In other words, God creates a world where the whole creation flourishes. 
And I think we must ask, what if the dominion, what if the dominion that God invites humankind into is just this kind of dominion? Now, no, we're not speaking things into existence with a word, but we do see here a dominion that does not dominate, does not exploit, ravage, or pillage, but rather works to ensure the vitality and fruitfulness of a stunningly diverse creation. If our dominion compromises the vitality and flourishing of any part of creation, we are falling short of the dominion modeled for us by God, first at creation, then in Christ, and ultimately in a new heaven and new earth where we will gather in a heavenly city where, guess what? Our lives are sustained by a river that flows, a river of life that supports a tree of life that bears fruit each month and grows leaves for the healing of the nations. This is what God's dominion looks like. It is a dominion that overflows superabundantly with gratuity, vitality, and grace upon grace upon grace. Oh, that our relationship with and care for creation could more closely approximate this standard, but it doesn't. It doesn't, not usually, and we know it. So what will we do? What will we do? Surely we must do something. As we recognize the scope of human failure to live up to this vision of care for God's good creation, we might very easily hear this message and be tempted to bolt for the exit after the service. Again and again and again, we violate the compromise, we violate and compromise the very thing that God pronounced very good. We know this, and there's so much work to do, but this creation saga in Genesis challenges vigorously our impulse to jump headlong into the work. Our contemporary ecological crisis paired with this passage sheds a piercing light on our failures, but the recognition of our errors and any guilt or shame that may ensue will never be enough to support us on the journey that lies ahead. As far as I can tell, this seven-day creation saga has no interest in guilting or shaming us into caring for God's creation. It has no interest in guilting or shaming us into caring for God's good creation. I would say this story, this passage, is much more interested in leading us into stunned awe at the goodness, grace, and love of the God who brought creation into existence in the first place. Look again at the story, at the whole story, the seven-day story. Day six with the creation of humankind, humankind includes something like a job description for those first humans. Be fruitful, multiply, have dominion. We've talked about this. At the close of day six, it would seem that humans are ready to get to work on day seven, but that's not how the story goes. Humanity's first full day of existence is a day not of work, but of Sabbath rest. And here I must pause and offer confession. That's right, confession. When Werner called to invite me to preach, he said I could preach on anything I wanted except for one thing, <laughs> Sabbath. I couldn't preach on the Sabbath because Pastor Charlene recently did. And I promised Werner, I didn't mean for this passage to turn to the Sabbath, but I can't ignore the text, not in a Presbyterian church. Here of all places, we must give priority to the word, and it's, it's right there. 
At the close of day six, it seems the humans are ready to get to work, but that's not how the story goes. Humanity's first full day of existence is a day not of work, but of Sabbath rest. This seems, I promise the sermon's about dominion, this seems to raise an all-important question about dominion. What if the seventh day of creation is one of the truest images of dominion that Scripture gives us? What if the seventh day is one answer to the question, what do we do about the whole God human dominion and creation question. Consider this radical thought. At its roots, the word Sabbath literally means to stop. And what if the one thing, the creation, including you, what if the one thing the creation needs more than anything is for us to just stop? Stop and rest. Stop our ceaseless work, stop our ceaseless consuming, our endless travel, our endless activity that takes a toll on creation. Rest, let creation rest and remember, remember God's proclamation. The whole creation is indeed very good. The culmination of God's dominion is not humankind. The culmination of God's dominion is not humankind, it is Sabbath rest, an image of God and the whole creation in one glorious communion. It is a communion begun by God, sustained by God, and ultimately brought to fruition by God in which nothing is wasted, and we are invited to begin our care for creation, not with guilt or shame, but with the courage and inspiration that comes from knowing that we do not work alone. God is with us. God has made us and has made us members of this glorious creation. So what will we do when we leave the walls of this sanctuary? I leave you with three brief ideas for caring faithfully for God's creation. First, what if we start with stopping? Scripture's broadest view of the Sabbath includes the whole creation. The Sabbath commandments include instruction that livestock also rest on the Sabbath. And the sabbatical years in the Old Testament were times when the land rested. Stop and remember the grace that brought us into being. Stop and pay attention. Be attentive to creation as God is attentive. Remember that the creation has life and breath because God gives it. Remember that our only second, remember that our only adequate motivation for caring for creation is love. In all of my years of theological education, farming, and ministry, I am convinced that love, above all else, compelled God to create in the beginning, and it should compel us. Love of God, love of neighbor, love of self love of the very good creation. And finally, friends, what if we follow God's lead on this whole question of dominion? What if we do the things that will help the whole creation flourish? You, your neighbors far and wide, land creatures of every kind, water creatures and birds of every kind, wild animals of every kind, vegetation of every kind. And may we know and share the abundant life that God freely gives along the way. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.
Friends, go. Do the things that will help the whole creation flourish. Things that will help you to flourish, your neighbors far and wide to flourish, the land creatures of every kind, the water creatures and bird creatures of every kind, wild animals of every kind, vegetation of every kind, remembering that God is with you. You do not work alone. God freely gives life and love along the way. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and provided a message of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you are in New York City, we invite you to visit our historic church and join us for worship. You will find our address, worship calendar, and other information on our website, fapc.org. If you would like to help support this audio ministry, please text the dollar amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons, to 646 646- Four nine one eight three three one. Again, that is the amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons to six four six four nine one eight three three one. Thank you and God bless.